grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Grace happens when we don't deserve it. If we do deserve something good, that isn't grace. Grace happens when everything says you should lose, but instead you win. If I'm a, a bad employee, bad at my job, right? I've always been a bad employee. I keep messing up because I'm lazy or arrogant or I refuse to learn how to do my job. If that happens, I'm going to get fired, right? Of course, I would deserve to be fired. I should be fired. I would have earned being fired. Being fired in that case is justice. But being given another chance, that's grace. Because I didn't earn the new chance. I don't deserve another chance. It is unmerited favor. It is a free gift. And generally speaking, we love grace. We love grace. There's something deep in our soul that longs for grace. We tell stories about grace. Think about next time you're watching your favorite movie, look for the theme of grace because it's so often there because there is that longing in us. Edmund Pevensey, you all know, he's Edmund from the Chronicles of Narnia. He betrays his own family in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and he becomes a traitor. And in the justice of Narnia, much like the justice of this world, that justice declared that he then belonged to the evil queen, and she got to put him to death. Those were the rules for a traitor. But Aslan, the lion, who is an allegory of Jesus Christ, gives his life for Edmund and for Narnia, and then he rises again. But he provides grace for Edmund the traitor, Edmund later in his life becoming Edmund the just. In story after story that we tell, we look for the redemption of the character who was messed up, who has failed. We find ourselves in those characters. We look for salvation because our hearts and our souls are desperate for salvation, for redemption. Because we know three things, and we know them as clearly as we know anything. The first one is that we know there is a God. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, I'm not sure I know that. Let me tell you something. You cannot honestly look at the creation Look at your own intellect, look at love, look at justice, look at hope. All things that a God must exist for them to exist. You cannot look at all those and conclude there is no God. In fact, Psalm 53, the first verse, first part of the first verse says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool says that. By the way, as we read the scripture today, there are Bibles in front of you. If you do not have a Bible at home or you need a Bible for any reason, that is our Christmas gift to you to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's yours. You don't owe us anything. Please take that home with you if you need a Bible. We want you to have it. Don't worry about it. You don't owe us anything. Take one home for Christmas. Romans chapter 1, we read this from the Bible, which is the Word of God. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
means they know it, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest. It is evident in them, for God has shown it to them. Every single person that has ever lived, God has shown it to them that he exists. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. It's what we call general revelation. You can look at the world and yourself and the universe and all these things, and you can know that there is a God. Even his eternal power and Godhead, his divinity, that he's God, is known, so that they are without excuse. If any of you thinks you're going to be able to go before God and say, I didn't know you existed, I didn't believe in you, and that that's going to be an excuse, the scripture, which is the word of God, has told us very clearly, it will not be. You are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. We just read it. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. That's what we become. As we suppress the truth and the righteousness, we confuse ourselves on purpose so that we can get to the point where we reject God, and then we get to do what we want, the things that we know are wrong. And that brings us to the second couple of things that we know of the three things that we know. Oh, I'm reading the wrong one. There we go. <laughs> we know it's foolishness to deny God. Once we give up that foolishness, we realize there is a God, and if there's God, there is law. That's what we know. If there is God, there is law. If there is God, he made you in a particular way, and there are rules for you. There's a way for human flourishing and thriving, and there's a way that leads to death. There has to be. Any God that could make this must be personal, and he must have a law. And we realize that we can't change the law by simply saying, this is my truth, and that's your truth, and I've got that kind of... We cannot make right wrong or wrong right any more than we can make gravity not work. Go jump off the roof after this, and you'll find out you can't do that. It works in the same way the law of God works. And we realize two things. C.S. Lewis sums these up in a reading from Mere Christianity. He says, these then are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. They know the law of nature. They break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in, and I agree. Nothing could be more clear than these three things, that there is a God, that there is a law, and that every single one of us breaks it. There is not one of us that is not an Edmund Pevensey in this room. All of us break it. All of us go our own way. All of us rebel. There's not one of us that doesn't. When we think clearly about ourselves, we know this. And that is why we love the idea of grace. Because we've all rejected God. 
who made us in his own image and likeness, who loves us to go our own way. We watch these epic movies. We read these epic novels and we see in them, in so many stories, you see this whisper, this whisper of this hope of salvation, of the idea of grace. It's what draws you to the stories that you love. That salvation may be real, that it may be possible. And so many try to find some way to that that's their own way. Oftentimes this comes in working hard. In fact, every religion in the world other than Christianity bases their religion on working hard. If you do enough, God will love you. All the things you've done wrong, you can do enough to make them good, but it doesn't take five seconds of thinking to know that if you have harmed me, you can do nice things for that guy over there all you want, and it would never take away the harm. In fact, you could never do anything to take away what you've done. We cannot make it up in that way. But people do. They try. I'll work hard. Maybe if I give some money to charity. I'll drink a little bit less, or I'll be nicer to people. Maybe then if there's a reckoning, if there's a judgment, which we know in our hearts that there must be one coming. That's why there's such fear in the hearts of men and women. We think if we can do a couple of things, maybe we'll be okay. And if that doesn't work, we try to convince ourselves there is no real God. We suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Or we say there, there is a God, but he's the kind of God that I've sort of made in my own image, and he doesn't really care what we do. S.C.S. Lewis talks about the senile grandfather who all he cares about is at the end of the day that a good time was had by all. That's the God that many people create, but that is nothing like the real God. Or sometimes we just try to be a little bit better than our neighbor or than some of the people we know, and we think, at least I'm not as bad as that guy or as that woman. I can solve that for you right now. You are. Even thinking that is vile to try to put yourself over another human being made in the image and likeness of God. But even after we try all these things, we still know in our hearts something isn't right because our hearts long for truth and all that stuff, the works, the I'm better than this one, the hopefully I'll make it, all that isn't true. So we start to reject truth itself. We think we can create our own truth. We can set our own standard for how we live. And still there is that still small voice calling us to real truth, to truth beyond ourselves. And, and maybe we toss and turn sometimes at night thinking about it, and we can't go through enough Instagram reels or drink enough or have enough sex or do whatever it is that we're trying to do to try to forget about this thing that's coming where I feel like it's, I'm not right. The world's not right. I don't know how to get right. And in the end, there is only one truth. Do not forget this. This is important. There is only one truth. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't leave any room if you were hoping that there were many ways. Watch a lot of Oprah or something, right? Every way is good. Many ways make it. You're, you, I can tell you this. If you believe that, you deny Christ because he tells you as clearly as can be, following him is the only way. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. Jesus is the real thing. That thing that you're looking for, that thing that you feel, that thing that makes you feel uneasy. And that thing that we do, we watch that movie or we read that book and it's just like, mm, I love, I, I can feel something beyond me in that. That thing that is drawing you is Jesus. It's always Jesus. He is the real thing. In all your longings that you have, all of them, there is an answer and it's Jesus Christ. Because it's all true. The Bible is true. When it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's true. It applies to me. It applies to you. When it says in James 4, for adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's all true. And which of us has not fallen into that? When it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what it earns. Remember I said if I was a bad employee, I'd earn getting fired. The wages of sin, what you've earned, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there is grace. On top of all the striving, trying to make it work. No, God, I've got this. I've got this. I got it figured out. Feel bad. Try again. Feel bad. Try again. Up of all that, here's grace calling out to you. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift of God. It's free. And what is all this about Christmas and the story of a baby born in Bethlehem? It's prophesied hundreds of years before in the scriptures. And we talk about shepherds and wise men and angels. And this baby grows up into the man, Jesus, who they call the Messiah, who is the Messiah. And he never sins, never breaks the law of God. And Jesus Christ claims to be God, meaning he's either crazy or he's lying or he's God. Because he doesn't leave you the option that so many want to take. Well, he has a lot of good things to say. Um, you don't go to the guy raving on the street in downtown Portland who thinks he's a poached egg and say he has a lot of good things to say. <laughs> right? People didn't treat him like that. He said he was God, and their response was either you are God or let's kill him because he's claiming to be God. That was their response. Those who rejected him and wanted their own power, they tried to kill him, and in fact, they did. Those who were hit to the core by it, they worshiped him as God and King of kings and Lord of lords. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and he dies on a cross, and he rises from the dead, and his disciples witnessed him alive after he was dead, and he tells them, go, go, make disciples, bring the good news to the world, and they do. And they bring the good news. And the people that they bring the good news to bring the good news. And they bring the good news. And they bring the good news. And now we're sitting in a church building in 2023, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ. And we're still doing it. Why? Because the witness they had then is the witness I can give you now that Jesus Christ is alive. And he's real. And you would not be sitting here if he was not drawing you. It is no mistake that you're here today. It is not a mistake. It's as real for you as it was for Peter, the disciple, or for Paul, the apostle, or for me being called out of absolute, utter wickedness 
and being forgiven and given the righteousness that God had. What's it all about? Why? It's all about grace. I needed grace. I need grace every day. It's because of true love. The world has a style of love. I call it cheap love. It's not real love. It's cheap love. It says, do whatever you want and I will affirm you. Who am I to say anything to you? Live your life, live your truth. And they let you live your life and your truth all the way down to destruction, death, and hell. But there's a true love, a real love, a love that burns for the beloved. The real love is the consuming fire. God, who actually loves you, who actually made you, who actually was thinking about you before the creation of the universe. He had you in his mind. You, not people, you. And he has a plan for you. And he always thinks about you. And his heart breaks every time he sees you sin. Every time that your sinfulness and your rebellion draw you away from him, he's sitting there calling out to you, saying, you, I want you with real love. He's calling you to be saved. The God who became a man when he did not have to. He did not have to do that. He did not owe us becoming a man. He did not owe us the suffering life, the death on the cross and the resurrection. He didn't owe us any of that. What we deserved was the flood part due. That's what we deserved. For him to say, I'm not going to even keep this in existence. These people, they reject me all day long. They do nothing but wickedness, but that's not what he did. He said, because of their wickedness, I'm going to save them and give them my righteousness. He's the God who died for you while you were a sinner and a traitor and a rebel and an adulterer and all of that. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates, proves his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot bring our own righteousness before God. We have no righteousness of our own. It's gone. And if you think you've got it, you're wrong. The scripture says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's worthless. He had to give us his righteousness. That by grace, by his free gift, that cost him everything. Death on a cross for you. That by that grace we could be saved because of the power of his resurrection. And you also have a resurrection to look forward to. He brings forgiveness and he brings peace with God. By coming to save us, Jesus Christ brought peace on earth and goodwill to men and women and boys and girls and to anyone who will call on his name and be saved. For as the scripture tells us, there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ the righteous. I just want to tell you something so you understand something, at least about me and about the leaders in this church who who serve you and love you. We don't come here on Christmas morning for the pretty songs. I think they were pretty. Not the ones I sang, but the ones that the rest of them sang. I think they were pretty. We come here for what the words in those songs represent. This is not some tradition that we do because we're Western, European, American, you know, South American, this whole part of the world. We all 
have this thing where we kind of do Christmas and we kind of do the Jesus thing when it's convenient. A lot of people go to church on Christmas and Easter because it's tradition. Let me just tell you something, that's all nonsense. We're here because we believe that Jesus Christ loves you. For real. That he is real. And yeah, I know, lots of churches have messed up. And you can look around and you can find every reason you want to say, but look at all these Christians and look how much they messed up. And my answer to you is, that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. I am broken inside about those who don't know Jesus. Because I know what their fate is. More rebellion, more turning their face against God, more pain, and eventually death and separation from God forever in hell. That's a reality. We don't do Christmas service just to make you feel good. In fact, some of you, it should make you really think about your life. Because if you don't have Jesus Christ in it, you don't have anything. You're spiritually dead and you can go on trying to please yourself, trying to find ways to be happy, but it won't do anything for you. This is life or death. You can go somewhere else, I guess, and get a happier message, but this is the happiest message there is, the good news, peace on earth, goodwill towards men and women and children because of Jesus Christ. I can tell you that the joy that I have in Christ is a greater thing than anything I've ever found on earth or ever will find because it's heavenly. I'm already seated in the heavenly places with Christ. I'm already changed, justified, and sanctified, clean. And let me tell you that what he had to clean in me is much worse than anything he's got to clean in you. And he did it. He did it. His blood covered my sin. And he wants to cover yours. But you have to come to him. Make him Lord of your life. Believe that God raised him from the dead and follow him. This is life or death. Decide to follow Jesus and have peace on earth. Let's pray.